0: Hello and welcome to Building Local Power, a podcast dedicated to thought-provoking conversations about how we can challenge corporate monopolies and expand the power of people to shape their own future. I'm Jess Fiacco, the host of Building Local Power and communications manager here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. For more than 45 years, ILSR has worked to build thriving, equitable communities where power, wealth, and accountability remain in local hands. For today's episode, we're bringing you highlights from a recent event that we put on. The event is all about the momentum that is building in Congress, within the Biden administration, and within many state houses to rein in monopoly power and level the playing field for small, independent businesses. You'll hear from Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, who is the chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, and Tim Wu, who is the Special Assistant to the President for Technology and Competition Policy. This event was called The Progressive Fight for Small Business, and if you're interested in watching the whole recording, you can find that and related resources archived on
1: ILSR.org. With that, I'll let you listen to the show. I'm Stacey Mitchell. I'm the co-director of ILSR, the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. More than a decade ago, I helped launch an initiative here at ILSR focused on independent business. We were and continue to be deeply concerned about the sharp decline in small independent businesses that we've seen across virtually every sector of the economy. Back at that time, there were very few political leaders on either side of the aisle who had much concern about this trend. The widespread assumption at that time was that small business didn't matter much. The bigger corporations were better, more efficient, more productive, and so on. Today, we know that economic concentration and the losses that we've seen both for working people and for small businesses have had devastating effects on communities, that the decline of small business and the growing concentration across our economy is really driving racial and economic inequality and ultimately undermining our democracy. And we know that the primary driver of this trend is concentrated corporate power, whether it's the power that these corporations wield in the market or the political power that they have to rig government policy in their own favor and to undermine their smaller competitors. Today, we're obviously at a very critical juncture in our country's history. And fortunately, small business is beginning to be more at the forefront of public discourse. We have a growing anti-monopoly movement, and many progressive leaders are beginning to see small business as a central part of how we create an equitable economy and a vibrant democracy where all people can thrive. Today, we have just an incredible lineup of speakers to explore these issues, and I'm just really excited about this conversation. Let me give you a quick overview of our run of show, and I'm going to briefly introduce our speakers, and then we'll get going. Our keynote today is Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal. She's serving her third term in Congress, representing Washington's 7th District, which encompasses most of Seattle and its surrounding areas. She's the first South Asian-American woman elected to the U.S. House. She's a member of the House Judiciary Committee, and she also serves as the vice chair of its subcommittee on antitrust where she's done really terrific work as part of the big tech investigation, looking at the impact of big tech and concentrated power, particularly lifting up small businesses. After a conversation and remarks from the Congresswoman, we'll then turn to Tim Wu, who is an official in the Biden White House with responsibility for technology and competition policy. Tim is a legal scholar at Columbia University and has authored several books, including a really terrific book called The Curse of Bigness, let's get started. I'd like to welcome Congresswoman Jayapal. It's so nice to see you. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Stacey, it's so wonderful to be with you, and I am grateful to ILSR for all of your fantastic work and for really elevating the issues of small business and, of course, My involvement with small business goes back to when we worked with Main Street Alliance around raising the minimum wage to 15 here in Seattle, became the first major city to do that. And I think small business was such an important part of that fight and really the framing of what it means to have healthy communities and the role that small businesses play in that landscape.
1: That's terrific. You know, you have really been central, you know, small businesses are at this really you know, precarious moment right now. I mean, we've not only seen this 40 year decline where their role in the economy has been cut in half, but very precarious moment, both with concentrated power with the effects of the pandemic and the way that that's magnified concentrated power and really a whole host of policy issues. You know, you've been really instrumental on some of the the work in Congress around trying to restore antitrust law. Uh, I I was very aware of the, the important role that you played in COVID relief around small business. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about why progressives should even care about small business. I don't think small business generally has been on the progressive radar is like a central part of of what we need. And why should progressives even care?
2: Well, I mean, very simply put, progressives care about local communities doing well. And the way that local communities do well is to have a thriving small business economy. I mean, that is so central to how we think about healthy and vibrant communities. Every community across the country has small businesses and people are very connected to their small businesses. And one of the things that we found going all the way back to 10 years ago on the minimum wage fight is that our small businesses often are very high road employers. They are very connected with the people who work in those small businesses and they wanna do right by them. And so a lot of progressive policies are at the forefront of the wish list for many small businesses. So I think we've come a long way in terms of really educating progressives about how small businesses are a key ally in our fight for justice and equity, and that efforts to support small businesses aren't just limited to progressives. They're a concern for everyone on the political spectrum. And I think that is why we see a lot of bipartisan support. For me, you know, I told you about my background with really engaging with small businesses during the fight for 15, but the two issues that I have been very actively involved in around COVID relief and antitrust as the vice chair of the antitrust subcommittee really have that thread again in the middle of small business. My district, the 7th District of Washington, which is the Seattle and surrounding areas, as you said, was hit first and very hard by the pandemic. And I think people around the world know Seattle as the home of big corporations like Starbucks and Microsoft and Amazon, but it is so much more. It is the smaller independent coffee shops, the restaurants, the bookstores. In fact, we have one of the highest concentrations of independent booksellers in the country. And so we found out very quickly what the effects of COVID were on our local community and our small businesses. And it pushed me into finding how other countries in the world dealt with this kind of crisis situation. And in my research, I found that countries like Germany after the last recession put in place a program that allowed small businesses, medium-sized businesses to get assistance in circumstances where you reach certain thresholds, economic distress, unemployment, health uh, crises, those kinds of things, there were automatic stabilizers that kicked in. And instead of doing the assistance through a big bank that could leave people out, the model was for those businesses to go directly to the government. And so I worked with Nobel Prize winning economist Joseph Stieglitz. I worked with Mark Zandi from Moody's. I worked with economists all over the spectrum and with small businesses and coalitions to put together a bill called the Paycheck Recovery Act, which would have allowed all small businesses to not have to go through a third party of a big bank, which was how the Paycheck Protection Act was initially structured, and be able to go directly to the IRS with their tax filings and be able to get assistance that is proportional to their loss of income, their loss of sales or activity. And that, that activity would determine how long the assistance would go for, and it would go to fund things like rent and electricity charges, and all the things that had to keep continuing, even as a small business had to shut down during COVID. So that, I think, would have been a far more effective way. It wouldn't also would not have kicked people off of healthcare. It would have allowed small businesses to keep employees on their payroll and not deal with the problems of not having the workforce that we needed. And frankly, it would have been far more efficient at delivering relief to our small businesses and much, much quicker. So that was one piece that I am still working on actually, I'm gonna reintroduce it. And now that we've seen some of the problems with the delivery mechanisms for getting loans out to small businesses, I think we have a chance to make the legislation even stronger and people are realizing, yeah, this is what we should have done because it would have kept, it would have scaled the assistance. So if you have a wave, of COVID, you could have had more assistance when the wave is particularly bad or the surge in the virus is bad. And then as it goes down, you would have had less assistance, but you would have stayed in business the whole time. And that's what I heard from small businesses over and over again. So I think we have to do better to grant federal relief to small businesses who are devastated by the pandemic. On antitrust, if I can just say for a minute there, you know, I think when I came into the Judiciary Committee and the Antitrust Subcommittee, and when we started our investigation a couple of years ago, which was a 16 month investigation into market concentration and monopoly power of the four big tech firms, I, you know, I don't know that I knew that much about exactly how that worked. But over 16 months, we heard from so many small businesses, some in great confidence because they were very afraid of what would happen to them if they spoke out and how they could have the power that big tech firms wield over them, demote them to maybe not being on the first page when you do a search engine, or if you're on Amazon, not getting the preferred customer slot. And so some of it was not public. Some of it was done confidentially, but we had over 120,000 documents that we got. We had dozens of hearings and briefings and interviews with small businesses and some medium-sized businesses and even some big businesses about the practices of big tech and the ways in which market concentration and monopoly power have really contributed to driving small businesses out or setting the rules in such a way that you simply cannot compete. You can never compete. And that led to a package of bills that we introduced in the Judiciary Committee, a bipartisan antitrust package that addresses these anti-competitive habits. And there are five bills that are focused on unique issues presented by these big tech companies. My bill is HR 3825 the Ending Platform Monopolies Act, which essentially protects the interests of small businesses that sell their products on digital platforms by eliminating the ability of those dominant platforms to leverage their control over multiple lines of business and self-preference their own business lines. This is something we heard over and over again about from small business owners who saw companies like Amazon suppress their listings by placing them at the bottom of the seller queue and simultaneously elevating their own competing products. And so my bill addresses that conduct and it prohibits digital platforms from selling their own products on their websites. All of these bills, including mine, have bipartisan support, not just in Congress, but from small business owners from all backgrounds. I think these bills really transcend politics and they hit at the heart of what ILSR is, is about, what America is about, and that's free markets, small business ability to grow, and most importantly, better choices for Americans.
1: It's been great to see, you know, the movement on monopoly power and the big tech bills. There's an important vote in the Senate on one of those bills just last week. We've been thrilled to see your breakup bill, which is, you know, really gets at the structural, the inherent conflicts of interest that you just outlined that are deeply problematic. We hear from the, many of the small business owners we talk to that that bill is really, you know, an essential piece of, of solving this problem. For a long time, you know, big business has really, the big business lobby, the chamber of commerce has like gotten to own like what's you know what small business needs and you really and also own our political process to sort of drive their to drive their agenda. Will mean, you talk a little bit about you know how you see addressing small business issues and, and 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 engaging with small business as a base and as part of this anti-monopoly agenda? You know how that might be helpful in terms of reducing corporate power. You know not only in the economy but in our political system.
2: Yeah, it's a really, really important piece of the work we have to do. And frankly, it's going to be a very important piece of whether we're successful or not. And that is really my call to action, if you will, to small businesses that are on this call, because you've already seen the amount of money that's being poured into lobbying Congress, but also lobbying the public, the multi-minute ads on mainstream television, on every cable station about these big tech companies and why our package of bills is not going to be helpful. A lot of sort of framing of the conversation as if the big tech companies are the savior for small businesses, when in fact, we know that our experience shows that they self-preference themselves and they act competitively and actually drive a lot of small business out. And they have so much concentration of power, market power, that they can set, you know, I said during the hearing that it's sort of like being the referee of a game, making all the rules, calling all the plays and playing on the team. It's, it's like that. And so it's just a very unfair set of advantages. And what we really need, I think, if we're gonna change the political landscape is to have a real alliance with small businesses to help tell the stories of what small businesses are experiencing And to have small businesses be the ones reaching out to members of Congress to say, I support this package of bills. I support the ability for small businesses to have a competitive landscape to operate our small businesses. And so I think that is very, very important. And I think Democrats have increasingly been concerned about the pervasiveness of corporate power. And it's a message that resonates across party lines and can really help Democrats build support. When we looked at the political map on this issue, it is very much in favor of exactly what we're talking about, you know, taking on big monopolies and breaking them up and allowing small businesses to compete and also recognizing the monopsony power that is created with concentration of market power, right? What happens to workers when they don't have choices about where to go? Wages go down, benefits go down, it has multiple effects across the economy. And I know you're gonna have Tim Wu on after me. The president has been really very strong on lifting up competition and the role of monopolies in income inequity, racial inequity, a number of different pieces. In all parts of our country, in rural America, with meat packing and agriculture and the food supply, but also across the board. And so I think that's a very good thing. He's got a lot of experts like, like Tim Wu and Lena Khan at the FTC and others. Bharat Ramamurthy is also in the White House. And I think, you know, they really understand this issue of concentration of, of corporate power. So, I think we can improve our support as Democrats for small businesses by understanding how these issues also intersect with dozens of other legislative priorities. So, you know, as the political makeup of small business advocates has grown, I hope that we will be able to engage directly with you to tell your stories and to also get your help in moving these sensible bipartisan measures like this bipartisan antitrust package. But also, there's other issues that I hear from my small businesses all the time about. One of the big ones is healthcare, And I'm just going to put in a plug for my bill, HR 1976, the Medicare for All Act of 2021, which would add benefits to Medicare and expand Medicare and guarantee coverage to all Americans. Just think about how important health coverage is if a company, if a small business wants to be able to provide their employees with health insurance and doesn't wanna have to try and navigate it on their own. And so that's why we've seen so much support from small businesses across the country to support something like Medicare for All because it gives employers a lot more freedom to keep wages in line with rising costs and just frees them up to devote their energy to innovation and production instead of endless paperwork and phone calls with insurers. And even if they have insurance, so many small business employers have told me about how they still have to fund GoFundMe campaigns for their employees because their employees are simply not getting the kind of health care that they need. So I think we have a real opportunity to use the bipartisan momentum to prevent dominant com- companies from maintaining market power and using their extensive resources to stifle independent and small competitors from entering the market, and also to think about our communities in a holistic way. And I think that's what small businesses do particularly well.
1: That's great. And, and I've, I've been so hardened to see the focus, as I said, on, on concentrated power and the ways in which you know, not only in tech, but across the economy, I mean, even Visa and MasterCard's ability to levy these huge fees on local businesses. You know, it's, it seems so important, I think, partly because what we, you know, what I heard a lot from small business owners who say, yes, we want to pay more, we want to be good stewards of our communities, we support these kinds of higher standards, but it can sometimes be really tough. When we're asked to do that, and meanwhile, we've got corporate landlords and big banks who are hiking fees. We've got other monopolists who are blocking, you know, that we need progressives to fight for us in order to be able to be the kinds of community stewards that we're capable of being. I know we just have a couple of minutes left with you, but I I, d- I do want to get to one important final question, which is, is small business has a, a particular significance in communities of color and, and immigrant communities. And I and I was you know, I'm just interested to hear your reflections on that and how you you think policymakers can be thinking about small business development as a strategy for building both economic and political power in black and brown communities.
2: Yeah, this is so important because I think we see how small and minority and women-owned businesses are still suffering, and when businesses fail communities fail. And I think you saw this in the first iteration of the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Act, which used big banks to deliver relief. And so what happened? If you didn't have a relationship with a big bank and a lot of small businesses didn't, and they don't have armies of lawyers and and accountants to process applications and things like that, the money was gone. The first tranche of money was gone before it ever reached small businesses. It was really taken up by larger businesses that had relationships with those big banks. And my view is that, you know, we shouldn't rely on big banks to get money out to small businesses and and minority communities. That's just never been, (laughs) big banks have never really been good at doing that. And we should have learned that lesson. And so I think That is what we saw with our minority-owned businesses. They just didn't get the assistance they needed. Now, later, we made some changes thanks to Nidia Velasquez, the chairwoman of the Small Business Committee, did make some changes that allowed for credit unions and local community development banks to be able to be the stewards of some of those funds. But the reality is I just talked to my local coffee shop that I go to every every Sunday when I'm here at home. And she said, you know what, Congresswoman, I didn't even apply. It was just too much. And this is a thriving small business right near my home. And I said, listen, you got to call me next time because we will walk you through it. But, you know, she basically said, it's, it's just too much. It's too hard. And when I told her about the Paycheck Recovery Act and how you would essentially use your same tax forms that you submit and just do an attestation of what's happened and then the money would flow and it could always be adjusted at the end of the year with your next set of taxes if your revenue were to go up she was like why can't we have something like that and so that's what we need for minority businesses and women-owned businesses to be able to prioritize those procedural pieces that prevent small businesses and minority-owned businesses from getting their fair share. And I think we also have to be much more intentional about how we target minority businesses in particular. And we need to use trusted advocates and messengers to connect with those communities and and, and just ultimately prioritize economic dignity for, for everyone. So I think those are some of the things we've learned I just fear that it takes us a long time to change the way things are done, and that's why we need your advocacy. And the Progressive Caucus, our 100 members, are very, very committed to doing everything we can to strengthen our small businesses across the country.
1: Thank you so much, Congresswoman Jayapal. It's just lovely to have you here. Really
2: appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for all the work that you are doing. Really appreciate that.
1: Great. Take care. We'll
0: continue on with this episode after a very short break. Thank you for listening to our show. If you're enjoying this episode, I hope you'll consider heading over to ilsr.org to help support our work. Your support not only makes this show possible, it allows us to develop the innovative research and resources that are helping to level the playing field for small businesses across the country. You can head over to ilsr.org donate to make a contribution today. Any amount is sincerely appreciated. Thanks, and now back to the show.
1: And let's now transition to our second segment, our second keynote speaker, Tim Wu. So nice to see you.
3: Likewise, likewise. Thank you for having me.
1: Just to briefly reintroduce you, Tim is a White House advisor focused on competition policy issues. And I guess I want to just start, you know, by saying, you know, just sort of going back to something I raised at the be- beginning of this, which is that we've seen this, you know, really pretty sharp decline across most sectors of the economy over the last 40 years and in, in, in small businesses. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about why America has become so much less hospitable to local businesses, and what's at stake if we we continue down this path?
3: Yeah, sure. Thank you. And uh, thanks, everyone. It's great, to I, I really appreciate the chance to, to address this, this audience. I feel like I have small business in my blood. I started a hot dog business as a teenager. My brother uh, ran a software business, and I've always just had this uh, kind of Admiration for the courage, uh, the resiliency, the, the the kind of virtues that lead people to to take the risk on, on running their own business, or inheriting, or or just deciding to, to to take this take this route in life. So I'll start with that. You know, actually, it's been said before. Worth saying again. When you go to the founding, the United States was always uh, built on the back of, of regional economies, small business, and I want to emphasize that that has been a key, and we really believe this, to the nation's democratic soul, strength of its character. You'll sometimes hear about Louis Brandeis, as uh, famous as a Supreme Court justice, but he was also an anti-monopoly crusader, also came from a long line of small businessmen as small businessmen back then. And he would always speak about the link between a nation of small producers and the kind of virtue and character of, of, of the country. And you know, it's virtues like risk-taking, resilience, responsibility, innovation, uh, this, you, you have to have these to start a small business and to keep running it. And I think it's a big part of what has made this uh, country historically the land of opportunity. The question is what's happened and uh, you know, where are we? I think right now we're really going through an experience where we can see very vividly how fragile this concentrated economic system we built has been and how poorly it is working for the whole country. Our country has become too centralized, it's too national in its character, in terms of where businesses are located, too centered on consumption as opposed to production. Too too many of the returns go to too few people who often live very far away from the communities they serve. And so I think what's happening right now is we're relearning the virtues and the merits of mixed economy that is the truer American tradition of small and medium businesses, market structures where they can all survive and prosper, uh, what the president often calls an economy that works for everyone. Uh, You know, you only have to look around and and see how how much uh, we're struggling with the fragility of our supply chains and the extraction of rents by some of the entities we already mentioned, whether it was credit card companies, whether it was healthcare, uh, to see that there's something pervasively wrong here. question is what's changed and how can we return the ship? The main problem is, is about 40 years ago, we began to subscribe to a set of microeconomic principles that were fundamentally focused on prices and profits. And we're not interested in the health of the economy from a more macro perspective. We're not interested in ensuring a healthy mixture of businesses, small, medium, large. But as I said, we're very focused on narrow economic metrics. And that's led to uh, at least three problems uh, that I want to highlight. One is very well known. I think we've, we've all seen uh, so many industries uh, consolidate into just a big three or a big four, you know, Visa, MasterCard, mobile plans, airlines, uh, uh, parts of the insurance industry. And that, that's a, a traditional problem that I think extracts a lot from the economy, market power, power among sellers. But I also want to highlight a problem that maybe many of this uh, people experience firsthand, which is what we call the rise of a middleman economy, which has really accelerated over the last decade. And that's where so many industries have seen the rise of a highly concentrated middle layer, you know, whether that's an online uh, selling platform or uh, just a few online selling platforms. Whether that's meat processing, where you have just a, a few companies that process almost all the beef in the United States, whether that's uh, the credit card situation, whatever it is, also banking, you just have a sort of middle layer that's extracting a great amount of the revenue for itself. And it leads to a different problem than we might be familiar with when you think about monopoly, which is just high prices. It leads to this problem where the, the middle layer, the middlemen, have pro- power over their suppliers are able to squeeze their suppliers and also often able to squeeze their employees. and it's a problem that I think is a kind of a new problem for the economy and one that we, we need to face and we need to face directly. Third thing I want to sense, say is and I'm sorry for going on such length, but there is a real sense that whatever it is that, that the sense of opportunity that has been sort the, the American brand has, has diminished. And there statistics a little depressing that kind of confirm this in over 75% of US industries large companies control more of business than they did 20 years ago the mergers uh, we've since since the mid 80s uh, the number of annual mergers is, has, has skyrocketed in 85 was about 2000 a year now it's more than 15,000 a year and i think this year it'll be at historic levels and that's uh, you know the process of consolidation large companies buying up smaller ones And finally, over the last 20 years, the share of total business going to small firms has fallen by nearly a fifth. So these are real challenges that I I would just want to assure you that the administration, the White House, is very focused on. And we see it not just in terms uh, of the economy, but in terms of of the democratic soul of this nation. You know, freedom and opportunity are are not trivial things in in, uh, when it comes to describing what a democracy is all about. And we need to fight to restore that, to to restore the sense that you know this is a country where you do have the freedom to take your shot, where you do have the opportunity, the economic opportunity to strike out on your own, or and really try and, and make something. And I think that is what we see as a real key to restoring the character of this nation that we love.
1: So back in July, I think it was, President Biden issued this executive order that. Is designed to focus on on competition and restoring competition. It is a big sprawling document with a lot of provisions. Can you uh, <laughs> can you give us an overview of like what it does? Like, does this have real you know? Can this have real impact? And, and maybe some of the components that are are most relevant to independent businesses.
3: You know, I think just to answer that straight up. I think it already has had real impact and will continue to have a lot more. Um, just uh, today, for example, the uh, director of the CFPB, which regulates uh, financial institutions, Rohit Chopra, uh, announced a new war uh, he, on on junk fees being charged by banks. He wants to save bank consumers. Uh, I think his target is $36 billion. And, you know, he announced that at the Competition Council, and which I'll describe in a minute. You know, that's, that's just an example of the kind of things that I think the executive order is trying to do. So let, let me... Back up and and describe what it was. So, on July 9th, the the president signed an executive order on competition. It is uh, something of a sprawling document that has 72 directives. But its goals should be understood in light of what I was saying earlier. It's a historic effort to try to turn this giant steamship called economic policy and point it in a different direction. You know, in his speech launching it, the president spoke about uh, the Roosevelt's, both Theodore and and FDR. Roosevelt's um, and and their vision, uh, you know, of an economy that was democratic in nature and and fundamentally geared towards opportunity and and deconcentration and and, and a fair economy for small and medium-sized business. And that's where we want to turn back to. So the executive order created the Competition Council, which is the heads of 17 agencies who are tasked with, both in civic and general ways, trying to improve competition in the economy, promote competition in the economy. And let me talk about some of what they're doing and some of what uh, they will do. So at one level, so this is a reinvigoration of antitrust enforcement. And you've seen the president has appointed two uh, strong enforcers, Lena Khan, Jonathan Cantor, to be in the at the front line of, of, of enforcement. And You know, we try not to talk about current cases, but there's a number of challenges out there to mergers that are anti-competitive in their views. And uh, they've also already managed to block a few mergers. Uh, A big one was Justice Department uh, early this year blocked a merger between two of the uh, three largest insurance brokers, which if it had uh, gone through would have raised insurance rates for businesses and uh, further increased costs for everyone. So I think that was a, a big a success. Some of the other things that, you know, I'll spare you all the details, 72 directives is a lot. But take another example, the order commit has committed the administration and its agencies to protecting the right to repair. I know for a lot of businesses, a lot of individuals, you know, paying dealer prices is, is a very expensive proposition. And we're doing everything we can to try to uh, fight against repair monopolies and make it so either you can fix your own stuff or you can go to independent repair shops. We've had some success with companies, including Apple and and Microsoft, announcing they're going to change their policies and make it easy to repair stuff. And we think that has a lot of of legs. I I can go on at some detail, but I I wanted just to give, I don't want to get caught in the detail. I just want to give a sense that the whole of government and not just the antitrust agencies, though they're a big part of it, is trying and directed by the president to find ways to try and improve competition. And I want to also say the president is into this. He came to the meeting of the competition council on, on Monday. Uh, he's repeatedly spoken about making uh, turning the economy around, make it work for all Americans, and spoken of competition as the third uh, pillar. So there's a lot in there, and I uh, look forward to, to talking about that at greater length.
1: That's great. Well, I, I feel like we could spend the next half hour continuing to talk about this, uh, but unfortunately we're out of time and, and need to move on to the next panel. But that was a really terrific overview and glad to hear that this work is going on. We um, have a rundown of some of the things that are in the executive order on our website that are, are particular, I think, highlights for for some of the concerns that that small businesses have. I'm excited to see that work go forward and, 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 you know, and hopefully really have an impact on policy. Tim, thank you so much for being with us today. really appreciate it.
3: Pleasure. It was great. And uh, yeah, there's a lot in there. If I can just say in closing, just one thing I'll stress is the Defense Department, uh, you know, I had a a number of things probably should have gotten them, but the Defense Department, for example, is is revamping its small business uh, procurement program. So there's just one example of something else that the executive order has directed uh, the agencies to do. So thank you so much for having me on and appreciate hearing what comes next.
1: Great. Thank you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Building Local Power podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. You can find links to everything discussed today by going to ILSR.org and clicking on the show page for this episode. That's ILSR.org. While you're there, you can sign up for one of our many newsletters and connect with us on social media. We hope you'll also take the opportunity to help us out with a gift that helps produce this very podcast and supports the research we make available for free on our website. Finally, we ask that you let us know how we're doing with a rating or review on a podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. The show is produced by me, Jess Fiacco, and edited by Drew Birschbach. Our theme music is Funk Interlude by Dysfunctional. For the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, I'm Jess Fiacco, and I hope you'll join us again in two weeks for the next episode of Building Local Power.